Hi, storytellers. As we get closer to the holidays, it's the perfect time to bring you a best-of episode from our archives, Secrets of Hosting in Studio and Live, from the Queen of Book Podcasts. Anne Bogle is one of the original book podcasters. She's so beloved that she is frequently asked to host live on stage, which, as you'll hear, can be very tricky. And I think good panel moderation is something that is invisible if you do it well. Oh, but if you do it poorly, there's a whole room of disappointed people who won't hesitate to let you know. Stick around to learn all that and more and to get some great book recommendations for gift-giving to your favorite podcasters this season. Ann Bogle has spent the last six years of her life doing something uncanny. Every week on her hit show, What Should I Read Next?, she excavates a guest's reading life in fine detail. Then she recommends books that always seem to be the perfect choices for that guest, no matter who they are. It's not just her unusual ability to pair book with reader that keeps her show at the top of the charts. It's also the way Anne approaches hosting as the art of practicing deep hospitality for her guests. And that keeps her in listeners' hearts year after year. It also makes Anne in demand as a public speaker. As intimate as she is with her podcast guests, you might never guess how raucously fun she is in front of a live audience. If you dream of moving effortlessly between studio and stage, this episode is for you. Today, we delve into the original meaning of hosting, practicing hospitality, no matter the situation, with Ann Bogle on Sound Judgment, where we investigate just what it takes to become a beloved host by pulling apart one episode at a time together. I'm Elaine Appleton-Grant. Can we actually measure how our listeners think and feel about our podcasts? We sure can. My friend Paul Reesmendel, researcher at Signal Hill Insights, is here to tell us how. Stick around to the end for that. Thanks to our sponsor, Signal Hill Insights. Anne Bogle, I am so delighted that you're here. Well, the pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me, Elaine. You're welcome. So What Should I Read Next has been described as a book matchmaking show. It's usually very personal. Tell me, first of all, if you agree with that description and how it works and how you conceived of the format. Well, I hope it's personal, and I don't think I'd argue with that. And we do want it to feel like a show where the listener could see themselves in the hot seat, where they could see themselves as the guest. And that is very much by the design of the show. The show actually started as a blog series. I've been blogging online at modernmrsdarcy.com since 2011, and it didn't begin as a book blog. I would still say it's not exactly a book blog, but I found very quickly that as someone who loves to read and who loves to discuss big ideas and the granular particularities of everyday life, that I ended up talking about books a lot and using books as a springboard to talk about other topics that were on my mind. And when you write about books on the internet, people start talking to you about books and asking you for book recommendations. And a question I got so often from our readers was, hey, I'm going on a trip. I'm in a reading funk. Can you recommend a great book? 
And you and I probably know that that is very personal to every reader. We don't have the same taste. We don't enjoy the same things. We don't gravitate towards the same genres. But I realized so many people ask me that question and I'd ask follow-up questions like, what do you mean? What are you looking for? What have you enjoyed lately? They say, no, no, no. And I just want a great book. That's that's all I need. And so I, I began stewing on this idea that reading is personal and how can you define your taste and how can you make it clear to others who are... Um, dabbling in their reading life, maybe for the first time in years, that it is a very individualized endeavor to find books you love. So one Sunday morning on a whim, I put up a post and called it the the phrase you said, literary matchmaking, personal shopping for books, whatever you want to call it, let's try this out. And after thinking about it for a long time, I asked readers to tell me in comments, three books they loved, one they didn't, because I think the truth often emerges in contrast, and it gives me a a sense for where people don't want to go in their reading and what they've been reading lately. And I would recommend three books, a small number, won't overwhelm you, but enough to give you some choices of what you may enjoy reading next. And I did this as a blog series for a long time and found myself thinking, though, I wish... I wish I could ask follow-up questions, like not by email. Like I wish we could have a conversation. And this was in 2014, 2015. I had a lot of friends starting podcasts and I thought it might be fun to try that medium. So we started beta testing the show in late 2015 and launched in January, 2016 and have been at it almost every Tuesday ever since. So before each of these interviews, I ask my guests to share either an episode that they loved or one that was particularly challenging to make so that we can dissect your creative choices together. You gave me two, and we're going to spend most of our time on the second one, which was a live panel at a book festival. So what I wanted to say about this live literary discussion at a book festival is that it was maybe more like burlesque. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't know that going in. No, that's pretty clear. So we're going to have some fun playing a couple of clips from it. Why did you choose episode 354, Book Club Favorites Live from Bookmarks, as an episode to share with me? Mm. Well, it didn't occur to me at first because this is a live event. I I put a lot of pressure on myself. I mean, the, the duties of being a moderator at an event like this where the four authors in question that you're about to hear were completely lovely, but moderators will get together and talk about managing the demands, the egos, the uh, the bruised feelings, the, the agendas of the individuals on the panel. And it's very easy for one or two people to dominate the conversation. And with the variety of authors, all of whom I love their work, had so much respect for, I really wanted everyone on the panel, so and there are four authors, as you'll hear, to walk away feeling like, I got to talk about my book. I got to charm the audience. They all got equal playing time. And I think good panel moderation is something that is invisible if you do it well. Oh, but if you do it poorly, there's a whole room of disappointed people who won't hesitate to let you know. So my goal was for the conversation to be seamless to be balanced. And I really wanted to invite these authors to tell stories that they didn't often get to tell and to show sides of themselves that people never ask them about. And also you have to come at that sideways. You can't just say, tell me a story that nobody's ever asked you about before. You have to choose the right questions and you have to do it all in a confined period of time without over-explaining. So it feels natural. I want it to feel a little bit like a party. So I wanted, I wanted to work hard in advance. So it felt easy in the moment, or at least felt easy if you were in the audience. Yeah, I'm shaking my head because moderating 
even sometimes just two people is hard. And then you add, you know, three, four people and the more famous they are, the more um, notable they are, sometimes the more difficult it is to balance it and to balance the needs of the audience against the needs of the panelists or on a podcast, your guests is also really challenging. Let's give a little bit more context for who was there. These authors are TJ Clune, Andrew Sean Greer, Brendan Slocum, and Tia Williams. So tell us just a tiny bit about each one of them. They're quite notable. And then I'm going to play a clip to, to start us off. I'd be delighted. Well, all these authors were gathered together in Winston-Salem, North Carolina at the Bookmarks NC Festival of Books and Authors, which happens every September. It's an amazing event. And they all had new or new in paperback books. So let's see. T.J. Clune is the author of The House in the Cerulean Sea and Under the Whispering Door. Andrew Sean Greer won the Pulitzer for Less, and he was back for his new book, Less is Lost. Brendan Slocum is the author of The Violin Conspiracy, a North Carolina author. And Tia Williams wrote Seven Days in June, a romance with depth, as we talk about in the episode. And none of them had met in person before. And you just never know what the chemistry is going to be like when you bring, when you bring people together. But we were about to find out. Okay, so there was no... There was no dress rehearsal for this. Oh, no. <laughs> Not at <laughs> no, all. No, this was all Not cold. at all. Okay. <laughs> We'd emailed a little bit in advance where I said, okay, th this is what I'm planning to ask. This, these are my goals for the, the conversation, but we hadn't been in the same room. Okay, great. So let me play a clip just to start us off. We are leaning in today to the idea of book club favorites. So I'd love you to think in your minds, what is the kind of novel that I can't wait to talk to my friends about, that I really want to stay too late and have another glass of wine or whatever you drink at book club and talk a little more about the book. What makes you think like, oh my gosh, I have to talk to a reader about this book. Those are the things we're going to talk about today. I don't want to jinx anything, but we are recording this panel and it will air as an episode of What Should I Read Next? Say a little prayer, send your good vibes into the universe. You can hear this again. I left that last bit in because first of all, your audience loves you, obviously. They're excited that it would turn into a podcast, but I also just, as a, as a podcast host and producer, saying good vibes into the universe for audio is always a good idea. <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> and you will also hear that not knowing what the content was about to be, I did make the promise out loud that we would air this as an episode. Oh, okay. Okay. We'll have to talk about whether you had a discussion afterwards about, about whether to publish it or not. Um, obviously, you did decide to, or we wouldn't be talking about it right now. <laughs> the topic, book club favorites, was already chosen when you were invited to moderate. Mm -hmm. But I love the idea of book club favorites. I lead a book club where we really lean into choosing discussable novels and ones that make readers feel like they found something new. When it was called book club favorites, I thought, oh, we have to keep that. I pictured the kinds of stories that you just couldn't wait to talk to your friends about. Or as you heard me say, like, they make you say, like, pour me another glass of something. I have more to say. Another reason I liked it is that Readers love to hear not just about the books that the authors they love write, but who they are as people. And if we were talking about book club favorites, that was widely interpretable. So we could talk about the books that these authors enjoyed or what they'd heard as feedback or some memorable experiences they had had with book clubs, either as a participant or author 
guest. So I really like the flexibility of that theme. It's nice to have a theme, and it's certainly hardly unusual for a conference session to have a theme, but you're pretty specific in each podcast episode, too. And sometimes I know as a producer that that comes after the fact, but um, it seems to me that the more specific one can be when you start out a conversation, you have a destination in mind, a central question you're asking for a conversation, that it tends to work better. Do you think about a destination for each conversation? I absolutely do. And I hear you. I do think there's a lot of value sometimes in chasing those rabbit trails and seeing where they may take you. But I also feel like even to the most experienced authors, speakers, podcasters, that specificity is a gift. Because when something, when someone can say anything, when you just give them a blank slate, oh, that can be paralyzing. But if you're very specific, you tend to get the specifics back in return. And I find that that's often where the most interesting tidbits lie. I could go down so many paths here, but I will <laughs> stick to where we're headed. So you did a little bit more fun intro, and the audience is already laughing along with you. They were they were primed, I think. That was a great audience from the get-go. And, and you seem really comfortable with this crowd. And then you posed the first question along the lines of what we were just talking about. Okay, let's do this. So we're going to jump in real quick. 60 seconds each. Just tell me about a memorable book club experience, whether it's something that you experienced as a peer or something that you participated in as an author or heard a story about later. Because you hear good stories when you write books that people talk about in book club. I got this one. I'll, I'll start it off. So, so why did you decide to start with that question, which is a very interesting question to you know, these great writers. Elaine, I thought they might have good stories. I also wanted something interesting, something engaging that would get people talking right off the bat and would allow them all to introduce themselves to the audience really quickly. So everyone could have a voice in the first five minutes of the conversation. That doesn't happen at some panels. That was a great question to get people to talk about their experiences. And I think it led to places that I don't think that you expected. That's true. And the, the authors started playing a game of, can you top this? And I would say that Tia Williams, who was the fourth author to speak, Tia Williams describes her books as a little steamy. I would say she won that game. So let's listen. This is the longest clip I'm playing this episode, but I promise you it's worth it. <laughs> We don't want to hear that scene. And then she was like, she goes into this long thing about how she was reading about this, you know, this love story between Jenna and Eric. And she's like, I love my husband, but not like that. <laughs> and so I, t I brought it in bed with us and I read him this specific scene and we had sex like you would not believe. Oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, cute. Like, that's great. Like, what time? Then another woman in the club at the table was like, I think my husband needs to hear you read that. Because I love my husband too, but it doesn't pop off like it does in your book. So she called her husband and I read this scene. Oh, no. And I was like, we should be, we should get paid for this. Like... How do I monetize the, the, the reading of sex scenes to husbands that don't know how to put it down? <laughs> That's all I got. 
Okay, two things. I'm not sure I can go on. <laughs> you read it. Well, because also you know how shameless authors are. Like, we're trying to promote our stuff. This is what you want to hear. I'm going to give it to you. Okay, but I got to ask, <laughs> did you read it, like, monotone, or did you just give it your all? When no, you're I gave it, it my all. <laughs> <laughs> we will not have a show of hands for how many of the audience members wish this could change direction right now. But, but. <laughs> so just take me to that moment on stage. Give me the experience for you, what that, what that was like. Oh, well, there are pictures on Instagram where, what should I read next? And you can see me flung against the lectern. Oh, this whole scene is unfolding in a church. That was the main venue for the Bookmarks Literary Festival. Just with my head, like in my arm, hiding my face from the audience. And you can see TJ with his hand, head in his hands. Um, Brandon is covering his eyes. It's it's a moment. Um, and the audience was very close to us. And so we could see people like wiping away tears. TJ Klune made people cry with his discussions of how reading generates empathy and makes people feel seen, but people also laughed until they cried. Um, it was, it, mm -hmm. one of the things I wanted to talk about is the difference between hosting a podcast episode and hosting a live event. Because I was really struck by the difference between your manner as a host in the podcast and how you were on stage. And so the way I, as a listener, experience you as a podcast host is very personal. It's like there's only one person in the room for you, or in the case of the episode we heard before, too, um, very present, kind of quiet. It's like you're holding that that guest in your hand carefully, you know, it's, it's very lovely, but it's intimate. Sometimes you're a little hushed. And then on stage, you're like this big personality and everybody loved you. And you were thinking on your feet, like to be able to say, okay, how many audience members wish it had not gone in this direction was hilarious. I have no recollection of saying that. <laughs> but I could see audience members with their face in their hands. And I didn't think for a moment anybody wished that they were not in that room. Oh, clearly. Yeah, clearly. It was, it was obviously a very funny, it was a very funny line. <laughs> so how do you think about the differences? Because I think a lot of podcast hosts are also moderators, speakers, actors. You know, they like the stage and the mic, but they're really different. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Um, I have a fair amount of experience doing both. So we've been doing What Should I Read Next for a long time. I also shepherd the Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club, where most of our events are on Zoom and have been since 2016. But we bring in authors and our community of readers together on a regular basis. Um, and it's so interesting to hear you talk about the intimacy of the two-person conversation, because many times our guests have never been on a podcast before. And they'll hop on and they'll say, I'm, I'm so nervous to talk to you. And... We talk about a lot of Taylor Swift songs, a lot of what do you enjoy for breakfast? What are you usually doing when you listen to What Should I Read Next? What are you usually doing right now when you're not podcasting? We just have a lot of chit chat. But I also say like this is, this is just two book lovers sitting down for coffee. Just picture us at your favorite coffee shop. We're leaning across the table and we get to talk about something we both love. This is going to be great. But the visual for something like a panel discussion in a room of hundreds of readers is not – 
two people at a table leaning over their lattes. It's more like a big, come on in, the water is warm, you know, like big mama shepherding, embracing. There is room here for all of us and we're going to have a ball. They're both very positive kinds of energy, but very different. Yeah. How do you, how do you feel on stage? I mean, it sounded like you were having a blast and that that's part of what makes it appealing is that you're, you yourself are having so much fun. I mean, you have to take it seriously, but you also have to enjoy it or it's not fun for everybody else. Or at least that's what I think. Um, there has been a fair amount of exposure therapy involved in all of the hosting in any context that I have done. Yeah, just doing it over and over and over again helps so much. So back to this particular panel, I get this question a lot. Did you give the guests an idea of what was going to happen? Did you give them the questions beforehand or did they come in just knowing the general topic? I do think it's helpful if guests know the structure. And when I say guests, I'm talking about the authors on the panel. I wanted everybody to be prepared with the story and to have time to think about it so nobody felt caught up short, especially since it was going to be the first thing I was asking you. And since I asked for little popcorn, I think I described it as popcorn style, they wouldn't have too long to think while everybody else was talking. So I asked for a 60-second story about something that happened in book club. And I also asked for a couple of book recommendations that you thought would be great to talk about in a book club or that you had enjoyed talking about in a book club yourself. And then I said, generally, we're going to lean into the discussability, the delight of chatting with other readers about books. And there's one other thing I told them. Oh, um, that they all write books that make readers go, oh, I can't wait to talk to my friends about this. So let's talk about writing those books. But I think that's as specific as it got. Sometimes what I hear in a very good podcast episode, or in this case, a live event, is it's like listening to orchestra music or something, <laughs> any kind of piece of music, where there's a range in the dynamics. You're not getting the same emotion all the way through, mm -hmm. right? You're laughing. As you said, you're, we laughed, we cried, we laughed until we cried. Um, there are serious moments. There are softer moments. There are hilarious moments. Some people orchestrate that intentionally and then other people, it just, you know, it's something that's happened over time. You, you're asking good questions and you're, and you're leaning in and it happens. Are you aware of that dynamic? Oh, aware of it, yes. And hopeful of it, yes. But you can't force something to happen. You can only set the stage as best you can and pray <laughs> that it, that it unfolds in that manner. Um, but you're so right. Like something else that comes to mind is an episode we're not talking about today where uh, tears are shed about um, the refugee camps in Cambodia. And then there is swearing in that episode that we had to bleep, but didn't for the first few hours we released the episode. It was a terrible accident. Um, but that was about a YA book that made the guest really mad. That episode is so memorable, I think, to me because it does have that emotional range. And I was saying for this panel, the live panel at Bookmarks NC, that readers were crying tears of compassion and empathy and also just dying of laughter about these stories of reading sex scenes over the phone to, to readers' husbands. It's the whole human experience. That's what you get in the reading life. Exactly, exactly. And I think it's the whole thing that you get in the in the podcasting life. I mean, there's a lot of similarity here because we are at heart talking about stories no matter what. Mm -hmm. 
Can you think of something that you did in this panel when you were, you know, writing questions ahead of time and sort of planning it out where you were saying, all right, let's set the stage to get that whole human experience? I was very conscious of setting the stage as a whole. This is what I hope to showcase in your work. This is what I hope the listener's experience will be like. And these are the topics I wish to hit. And I feel like when you're talking about visiting the highs and lows, it can feel overdone to say, tell me a really sad story or tell me a really funny story. You can't just tell somebody to be funny or, or lighthearted. But I'd like to think that we create a casing that allows for the range and then make people feel safe to explore that. We talk a lot. I find that this topic comes up quite often, making people feel safe. So what have you learned about ways to fairly quickly make someone feel safe who, as you said, has never been on a podcast before. You're probably never going to talk to them again. You don't know mm -hmm. each other. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot on our team about hospitality. Um, it's taken me a long time as a podcast host to understand this is really a thing because I'm just a person. Like I'm just a person who loves to read sitting behind a microphone in my slippers right now. I am wearing actual clothes and actual makeup, as you can see, Elaine, but I'm sitting here in my slippers and I just, I love to read and my job happens to be podcasting. Um, but it's easy, I think, to be intimidated by the people who make the stuff we love. So I do feel like we consciously um, cultivate an atmosphere of hospitality and try really hard to make guests feel welcome, whether that's about how we email them, how we invite them to be on the show, the materials we send them, the things we do to make sure they feel comfortable with the audio. They know we have a history. Like we tell them, we make our guests sound good. Don't worry if you sneeze, if you start talking and realize that you have no idea what's coming next. Um, I usually fumble a few things. Um, I would love to say I did it on purpose to put them at ease, Elaine, but it's not true. I just fumble things. And then they hear, oh, like she's just Anne. <laughs> she's just a reader. It's fine. But I think establishing that you are two peers having a conversation, even if one of you is a professional podcaster and the other is a professional something else is really important. And just honoring everybody's humanity in the conversation. I love that. And you're the first person who's actually used the word hospitality, but you're probably familiar with Priya Parker, The Art of Gathering. Oh, I'd love Priya Parker. Mm -hmm. We've talked about The Art of Gathering on the show. And you know, I'm sure I was thinking about Priya Parker when I sent those um, emails early in advance to the panelists. Like, let's talk about why we're here and what we want to do. And in the introduction, to the panel. I said, you know, hey readers, this is why we're here today. This is what is going to happen. We're glad you're here. Let's go. Priya Parker really helped me think about what it means to, to, to host a, a gathering like that. Right. Knowing why you're pulling that gathering together, why you're hosting it in the first place. Mm -hmm. And like, not just in your mind, but letting everyone who is there no. If you've been to Zoom meetings in the pandemic that were not good, a lot of times it's because you get on Zoom and nobody says, hi, we're glad you're here. This is what we're doing today. Um, it, it can feel silly at first to name your purpose, but like, what, what, what is this podcast? What is it here for? What do we hope you take away? Like, those can be really important things to state, and it's easy to take them for granted and let them remain unspoken. So you've been doing this for quite a long time, as we talked about, since uh, early 2016. 
almost 360 episodes. You also have a blog, you're running a business, you do live events, you have a Patreon, it goes on and on and on. It always sounds like an almost impossibly busy schedule. Podcast producers and hosts ask me about burnout quite often. What has kept you going? Oh, well, first of all, I chose a topic I loved and would never tire of. So that's huge. I will always be a reader. Uh, I feel like saying you'll always or never do anything is a bold claim, but I think it's safe to say I'll always be a reader. And we do have a firm structure, but that is endlessly flexible, offers, you know, variety until the end of time. And also, and this is more true now than it was when I started, I have a robust and amazing team. So I am the host, but I have a ton of just top-notch support. And when I say more true, our people were great in 2016. There just weren't as many of them. So we've brought on even more team members to help me do what I do, um, to get our listeners everything they need, and just to make the work a pleasure. Because as, as nice as it is to be able to work at home in my slippers talking about books, um, it gets lonely. And just to have a group of people like committed to a common purpose – who get to do this work together is such a gift and makes it continue to be possible. Podcasting is a team sport if you can afford it. Uh, and if you can't afford it, you have to find other ways. Okay, let's do the lightning round. And then I want to ask you about holiday gifts. Oh, lightning rounds are so fun. They always make okay. me think I should have one. But I don't. So I get to, <laughs> I get to have fun with yours. Oh, good. Wonderful. How has hosting this podcast changed you in a way that you didn't expect? Oh, gosh. Okay, so I'm an INFP on Myers-Briggs, a type nine on the Enneagram, not one who throws my weight around at all. And I feel like so much of podcasting has been a continuous journey in realizing that like, ultimately, like I have, I have to make the decisions about what the show is going to be. Like, nobody's going to give me permission. Nobody's going to give me the definitive answer. It is up to me, which is a little bit terrifying, but also liberating. And something that I just continue to need to learn. Tell me a quick story about when that came home to you viscerally. Oh, gosh. You know, it might have been when we decided to go longer in the conversation than the initial 18 minutes, just like, give me the books, quick, quick, quick. But I do have this moment where I remember just sitting in my computer with my jaw open going like, there's no one to ask for permission. Because I think I saw running through my head, like, who do I email to ask if I can? And then realized, oh, honey, <laughs> bless your heart. It's just you. It's just you. This is your job. And you have to own it. Right. The good news is you're the boss. And the bad news is you're the boss. Exactly. What do you know now about being a host that you wished you'd known years ago? That providing structure for the guest is a gift. And we touched on this during the conversation already, but I think at first I thought that being the kindest and most welcoming host meant to just leave the room open for wherever someone wanted to explore in the conversation. Um, but I didn't realize how many different types of conversationalists there were. Um, I didn't realize how often people just talk when they're nervous. Um, and I didn't realize how, like we were talking in the panelist conversation that a specific question can generate so much more interesting answers and also can feel so much more comfortable on the guest's end than just a tell me anything. That's been a journey. Who's your dream guest for Sound Judgment, Anne? 
I would love to hear Kelsey McKinney from Normal Gossip. I think her show is in many ways so much like ours, like just telling regular people's stories that do not sound regular. This is not the kind of thing I'd listen to every week or while I'm making dinner, but when I had a road trip recently and just like I was not in the mood for literary fiction or something serious. I just wanted somebody to entertain me while all the highway was looking exactly the same. This was the ticket. Sounds great. That sounds like a lot of fun. And one last question for you, and that is, can you recommend a couple of books as gifts for podcast hosts, producers, writers, and other creators? Oh, gosh. Well, we have to say Priya Parker, The Art of Gathering, obviously. I first found that book, I I think, from Beth Silvers, who you hosted on the show from Pantsuit Politics. I said, Beth, I need to run better meetings. Do you have a resource? And to my very great surprise, she recommended Priya Parker. But I think about that book every time I sit down at the computer to log onto Zoom or sit down with a podcast guest. It's It's an amazing book to think about the why of what you're doing and what a gift it can be to your guests to be clear about the purpose of what you are doing together. A book that was recommended to me ages ago was Out on the Wire, The Storytelling Secrets of the New Masters of Radio by Jessica Abel with a forward by Ira Glass. Now, this is interesting in that it's a graphic novel memoir kind of book about making good stories and getting good tape. Here, I have it here for the video. Ah, that's great. And uh, hang on a second. You can see my copy. <laughs> I thought it might be. <laughs> totally marked up. I haven't looked at it in a long time, but it is a fantastic book. And it's a great book for anybody interested in audio storytelling of any kind and probably storytelling of any kind. And thank you so much. This has been just a delight. And I plan to continue listening for as long as you make these episodes. Oh, I enjoyed it so much. Thank you for having me, Elaine. At the end of every episode, I give you just a few of the many takeaways from these conversations. Here are some from today. You'll find more in the show notes. One, we may not think of it this way, but the word host comes from the word hospitality. Anne takes that literally. She and her team practice hospitality consciously. They do everything they can to make their guests feel welcome and at ease. That hospitality starts with the way they invite guests, to how they prepare them, to the ways in which Anne calms their nerves at the start of an interview. The result of such care shows in the relationship she builds with her guests and, as a consequence, with devoted listeners. Two, Anne practices hospitality in the manner that author Priya Parker describes in her book, The Art of Gathering. And that means understanding and explaining the purpose of that gathering or interview at the very beginning. It can feel silly at first to name your purpose, she said, but it helps you and your guests immensely to say, what is our purpose in being here today, in having this conversation? What do we hope you take away from this? Don't let these important guideposts remain unspoken. Three. You're not the same host in a quiet studio as you are in front of a live audience, or at least you shouldn't be. Before you host an episode or a live event, visualize how you want the audience to feel. As Anne says, the visual for a conversation with a single guest might be two people at a table leaning over their lattes, but the visual for a panel discussion in a room of hundreds of readers is 
big. And as she put it, come on in. The water is warm. Big Mama is shepherding. There's room here for all of us. And we're going to have a ball. They're both positive kinds of energy, she said, but they're very different. Storytellers, we put a lot of content out in the world. Don't you wish you knew more about how your listeners are responding? It's always important, but especially so for those of us who make branded podcasts. Paul Reesmendel, Chief Insights Officer at the audio research firm Signal Hill Insights, is back with me to tell us what to look for when we survey our listeners. It's part two of this sponsored series called Measure Your Podcast. If you missed part one, don't worry. We're adding these segment transcripts to our blog at soundjudgmentpodcast.com. Paul, I'm really excited to have you back to talk about how on earth we measure how listeners respond to our content, to branded podcasts. From talking to you before, I know that there are two particular terms that I was really curious about. One is brand lift and the other is the halo effect. So let's just start with one. What is brand lift? Brand lift is being able to show that change in a listener's perception or attitude about a brand. And the way we do that is we compare the responses of somebody who heard the podcast to somebody who did not hear the podcast. What are you looking for? Well, we're looking, say, are you more aware of this brand? Let's say that if you heard a podcast for a particular brand, are you more likely to say you're aware of them than somebody who didn't hear the podcast? It can be also associating them with whatever type of product or service they're in. And we can ask it in a way that says, which of the following personal finance brands have you heard of? And you give out the list and people select one or select many. And what we're looking for is to see people who heard the podcast, are they more likely to select the brand that did the sponsorship. So we could say brand lift is, are you aware of it? Do you like the brand mm -hmm. or you think you like the brand? And are you thinking about the brand? Like, are you considering the brand? If you were going to purchase a new vehicle, are you considering a Chevy or a Ford or a Tesla? Uh -huh. Or are you likely to purchase that brand? Oh, okay. So... In our case, we've got, you know, mission-driven mm -hmm. organizations. Are you more likely to consider going to this university rather than that right. university? Or visiting their website or making a donation. And so you can tell all of this with a relatively straightforward brand lift study based on a podcast. Yes. So that's brand lift. But you've also talked about something called the halo effect, which, you know, I imagine angels. I want... The halo effect for sound judgment. What is what is the halo effect? I mean, the halo effect is the effect on a brand, the positive impact for a brand that comes as a result of sponsoring really good content. Okay. So I could see, you know, the communications professionals who I work with at places like the Environmental Defense Fund going, ooh, I really, really want to know what our branded podcast about green careers has done for EDF. Is that the halo effect? That's exactly 
the halo effect. And we can ask it in a very straightforward fashion. We can ask them, first of all, do you know the sponsor? Find out, did they did they actually make that association? And we ask them, does that make you more or less favorable towards the brand? Uh-huh. And so what do you find on average? I, I assume you've done a lot of those halo effect studies. We find that 61% of listeners say their opinion of a brand is more favorable as a result of listening to that branded content. Yeah. 61%? 61% on average. But that sounds huge. Is that huge? It's very good. And that's the result of making great content that people appreciate, right? I mean, that's ultimately the goal here, right? These aren't infomercials. This isn't a sham right. wow, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. We're not making commercials at all. Exactly. So you're being associated with something valuable something that's giving value to the listener. I love the fact that we can study this. For listeners who are really interested in this, they want to take a next step, what can they do? We really want to help folks out. So we've set up a special email newsletter just for this topic. Just go to measureyourpodcast.com and we've got a sequence. It's four emails that take you through the process of how you can measure the impact of your branded content and I hope drive a renewal down the line measureyourpodcast.com. Yes. Thanks, Paul. I'll see you soon. Thank you. That's all for today. What fun that was. And Bogle, you can come back anytime. On our next episode, learn from one of the best interviewers I've heard in years. My guest, best-selling author Kelly Corrigan of the podcast Kelly Corrigan Wonders and the PBS show Tell Me More. Thanks so much for listening to Sound Judgment. For takeaways and a list of the books Anne recommends as gifts for podcast hosts and producers, see our show notes. In the original episode, Anne also recommended The Literary Mystery. I have some questions for you. It's by Rebecca Mackay, and it's about a true crime podcaster. It came out after the episode aired and landed on the New York Times bestseller list, where it stayed for six weeks. Sound Judgment is a production of Podcast Allies. Is your communications or marketing team planning a podcast launch in the new year? Get in touch. We're a listener-first, story-first team that knows how to help you connect with your audience. Our contact info is in our show notes and at soundjudgmentpodcast.com. We'd love to work with you. Sound Judgment is produced by me, Elaine Appleton-Grant. Audrey Nelson is our production assistant. Sound design and editing by Kevin Klein and Andrew Perella. Podcast management by Tina Basir. See you soon. <laughs>